letters. Thou knowest all things. Thou art the searcher of the heart and the trier of the reins of the children of men. All things are open and naked to thine eye. And we pray, blessed one, that thou wouldst give us to believe to believe that thou knowest us that we might realize our great need of thy mercy for we are sinful. We have sinned and do sin against thee. We have left undone the things that we ought to have done. And we have done things that we ought not to have done. Graciously teach us that we may know something of the meaning of this. Know something of what our own confession entails. And we would bless thee that to thy mercy and in connection with the proclamation of the gospel of thy grace thou dost convict sinners of sin thou dost give them in a measure to understand that it is a hard and a bitter thing to sin against God. That sin is the reproach of any people, and that because of it, shame and confusion of his belong unto us. Lord, cast us not from thy sight, Give us not over to ourselves. Leave us not ignorant of what we are and of what we need. May thy blessing this day be upon us. And may we have not only a knowledge of our sin, but also knowledge of him who came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, who is the great high priest, having once offered up a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice, sat down forever on the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, may the glory of Christ as the Savior of the lost, the Redeemer of his people, be so brought before our mind this day as that we shall in truth and indeed bless God for his unspeakable gift. 
Lord, we would commit us to thy gracious care. We need thy care. We cannot take care of ourselves. It is not in him that walketh to direct his steps. But thou dost direct the steps of thine own. Thou leadest them in the paths of righteousness, even for thine own name's sake. And we pray that, despite our unworthiness, despite our ignorance, thou wouldst lead us on those paths for thy name's sake. Be with us as we are gathered, professing to worship thee. Give unto us the spirit of true worship, the spirit of those who worship thee indeed. Save us from, from the deceit, the hypocrisy of our own heart. And grant that the truth may be within us, for thou art delighted with the truth in the hidden part. Bless thy word this day, wherever it is preached, wherever it is read. May it be a means of convincing and converting sinners of building up thy people in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Lord, remember us in this dark and cloudy day. Oh, wilt thou not shine forth Wilt thou not come for our deliverance, giving us times of refreshing from thy presence? We are unworthy, but worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and in his name we would plead that thou wouldst work in midst of all the earth, salvation manifold. Remember all who are denied our privilege, sick and afflicted one everywhere. Do thou thyself be with them. And we would remember especially those who decide to be named in the prayers of this congregation this day. Lord, do thou be with them where they are. Be a little sanctuary to them, comforting their heart, and giving them to understand that thou art near to all who call upon thee. We would commit us to thy gracious care. Lord, bless us. Teach and direct us. And take away all our iniquities. For the Redeemer's sake. Amen. We shall turn now to consider as we shall be enabled words you will find in the book of Judges. <laughs> the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. 
And we shall read at verse 21. The book of Judges, chapter 16, reading at verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice and to take on their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Especially the 22nd verse. <clears throat> How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaved. <clears throat> All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is all profitable for doctrine, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And the words of our text, of course, are of that nature. It may seem that there is not very much material for spiritual consideration in words. <clears throat> but if there isn't, it is because we have not the power or the ability to perceive it. It is profitable for doctrine and for instruction in righteousness. Now you will notice that this passage divides the life of Samson into three parts. There was a time when the hair of his head was not shaven. There was a time when the hair of his head was shaven. And there was a time when the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Now that divides his whole life and includes his whole life within that division. Now when it comes to the your words, for a little as we shall be enabled, we may do so in the order in which we have indicated. First, Samson in strength. Secondly, Samson in weakness. And thirdly, Samson restrained. Now, in considering the first, uh, we are led to consider the fact that this was 
a child of promise. That is to say, a promise concerning his birth was given before he was born. His birth was the fulfillment of a promise. That is the first thing we are told of this man's history. And in close connection with that, we have the rules and the regulations that were given his parents for this child. He was to be brought up in a particular manner. He was to be a Nazarene from the woman. That is, certain rules had to be observed. And the most prominent of which are these. He was not to drink wine or strong drink. Secondly, he was not to cut, to cut off the head of his head. These were the two vows, the two special vows that distinguished the Nazarenes from the other Israelites. Now, Samson was to be a Nazarene from the womb. Now, while these rules were observed. All was wet. While he took care of what God had commanded, then God took care of him. And we read of his uh, great strength on various occasions. Take, for instance, the time he was going down to Timna when he met the lion in the way. There was no escaping from this danger but by killing the lion. That is to say, the danger had to be faced and had to be overcome. There was no way of escape. We know what happened. It heard the lion to bits, to pieces, as if it had been a kid. This is the man, then, of whom our text speaks. The man who, according to God's promise, was born at a certain time, according to God's instruction, was brought up in a certain way, and according to that same instruction, had himself, when he came to years of discretion, to observe carefully, diligently, and consistently that which devolved upon him as a duty. Here he is. He's outstanding. He begins to deliver Israel from the Philistines. A most promising beginning. A beginning according to God's promise. And on these grounds, we would expect that the end would be a glorious end 
with nothing coming in between. But evidences of God's power and of Samson's faithfulness. That is what we would expect. But things don't, don't turn out as we expect. There is what we might call a twist in reality that uh, gives the lie to 90% of our expectations. There is uh, something which we fail to take into our calculations and therefore which causes our conclusions to be wide of the truth. It was so in the case of Samson, and it is so very often in the experience of men. So what happened? <clears throat> Perhaps one of the most tragic chapters in the life of any man of God opens up before us now. Samson had experienced on various occasions the Lord's deliverance, the Lord's blessing, the Lord's presence. But alas, a time came when things changed. And here we come to our second point, Samson in weakness. What brought this about? His carelessness. The fact that he did not look as he ought to have looked to what God had commanded him. He became careless. And his enemies were ready to take advantage of that. He was a marked man. He was a man whom his enemies were on the lookout to trap, to ensnare, to cut out. And when the opportunity came, they were ready to execute their designs and plans concerning him. But notice, He had been warned. And he had been warned very thoroughly to be on his guard against something. There was a certain thing pointed to in his life which spelled that here was a peculiar danger of which he was always to beware. You remember when he put forth the riddle everything went well the Philistines were unable to give him the meaning of that riddle until, until he told someone what the answer was. And immediately he told that. Things went against him. Here he should have considered 
Now, there is one thing of which I must be always aware and one thing of which I must beware. I cannot put my keeping in the hands of anyone. There is only one who can keep me, and that is the Lord. Once I begin to trust in the creature, then I deliver myself into the hands of my enemies. That is the principle of that incident of which we are told concerning the riddle. But that is exactly where he failed. In that very point which was singled out for his particular case, it was there precisely that he failed. The Philistines were unable to overcome him until he trusted in the creature. He told where his great strength lay. And that, of course, is, is the point of that. The, the principle underlying his telling is that he trusts in the creature. And furthermore, trusts the enemies of the Lord. It was sinful trust. It was something which he should not have done. Something concerning which he was particularly and specially warned. Yet, that is what he did. He told where his great strength lay, and he did not have the strength long after that. No. But the next part of this tragedy is he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now, I don't think this can be overemphasized. It is so solemn and as such far-reaching consequences that we should ponder it with special care. He knew not that the Lord had departed from him. Oh, what tragic words. And this was a man who knew what it was to have the presence and the protection of the Lord. This was a man who had experienced the Lord's blessing in a multitude of ways and the Lord's presence. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And hence he says, I will go and do as what I did at other times. I will go and do the same. That's what he thought. But he was soon disillusioned. Now he came up against the strength of the Philistines the strength of his enemies with no divine strength of his own. He was as another man. Why? The Lord had departed from him. It wasn't a difficult thing for the Philistines to overpower him, to bind him, to put out his eyes and to bring him to the prison house. There was a time when they couldn't do that. 
There was a time when all their courts bound with all their ingenuity could not bind Samson. But it is not so now. He is easily bound. Taken away into captivity. Why? Why is this? Why such a change? Such a transformation? Or rather such deterioration? He did not give heed to what the Lord had commanded. This was the result of his own deliberate disobedience. He was to learn that it is a hard and a bitter thing to sin against God, to neglect that which God commands to overlook that which God lays as a duty upon his creature. He neglected it. He was like another man. But what happened to him? He is taken to the prison house. And he grinds in the prison house. That is to say, they set him to work. Grinding corn. He had enough strength for this. He had still this left to him. And what's the principle involved? No, let us put it like this. What is he doing? What he is grinding in the prison house. He is no a means of feeding the enemies whom he formerly destroyed. That is the death of his humiliation. Instead of being a menace, a danger to the Philistines, he is now instrumental in feeding them. He grinds for them. Oh, my friends, don't you see what has happened? Don't you see that things have changed quite round? Instead of being Israel's savior from the Philistines, he's now the very opposite. And all the time, remember, this is a man of God. Well, might you ask the question, can a man of God be the means of, of strengthening his enemies and the enemies of the Lord? Yes. As long as this incident is on record, we have that principle plainly enunciated in the word of truth. This is what he is. He did grind in the prison house. Now this would be the end of the story. <laughs> and a very tragic end it would be. Were it not that the God of Samson, the God of Israel, remained unchanged and unchangeable. How be it? Oh, what 
What a blessed world that is. How be it? That is to say, despite everything. Despite everything that has happened. Despite Samson's negligence and carelessness. And despite the victory of his enemies over him. The head of his head began to grow again. So what do we find there first? It is this. There were some things of which his enemies could not deprive him. There were things of, of which they could deprive him and did deprive him. But there were things hidden which was beyond, which were beyond the reach of the enemy. They did their worst. They couldn't think of anything else to do. And they had done much. But there were things they could not do. You remember what we are told of Job. When the Lord said to Satan, He is in thy hand. Yes, he is in thy hand. But not unconditionally. He is in thy hand, but touch not his life. That is the wall that God sets round Job, over which the devil could not climb, and which he could not break down, touch not his life. There were things concerning Samson. That ensured that the enemy could only go a certain length. Beyond that, they had nothing they could do. And what was it? Oh, well, literally, his hair began to grow because, in the ordinary course of events, in the roots of it were still in his, in his head, although the Philistines shaved off his hair, yet the roots thereof were in his head. And because of this, it began to grow again. It began to grow again. But notice the timing of God. Over all this, the Lord reigned and was bringing his own purpose to accomplishment. Notice the time. When did the hair of his head begin to grow again? Well, apparently, it was before the Philistines took him up to make sport, to make sport for them. Yes. Something was happening in the quietness of the prison and during the time of Samson's agony. Something was happening. The head of his head was growing again. Little thanks to Samson for that. Oh, yes, that's true. Nevertheless, this was true. And the Philistines could not take the final step in their means of degrading Samson until things were ready 
for the plan of God to be materialized. It began to grow. And then, of course, <clears throat> as we read here, the Philistines took him up to the temple, to their temple, when they were giving thanks to their God for their victory over Samson. It proved that they were rather premature with their thanksgiving. They had calculated without the God of Samson. Their calculations were based on their thanksgiving to their own God. The God of Samson was left out of the picture. Yes. It would seem that Samson was altogether forsaken. That he was left to the malice of his enemies. That is how things seem to be. And on that principle, the Philistines proceeded. But they proceeded to their own confusion and death. Now, there is something here to which I should like to draw your attention, which to me is very significant. Samson prayed. Samson prayed. We don't read that he prayed in the prison house. I don't say that he didn't, mind you. But I do say that there is no record of his praying in the prison house. But the time came when he did pray. And what a prayer. Recently I read somewhere that Samson mine Samson's mind was confused when he offered this prayer. I don't believe that at all. It was anything but confused. He prayed. Remember me, Lord, this once. Oh, what agony is expressed. What anguish comes out in these words. What a confession. Remember me. This once, as if he had said, Thou hast remembered me often before, but alas, I did not make the right use of it, and that is the reason for my condition now. Alas, that I had misused and abused the Lord's goodness hitherto. Nevertheless, O oh Lord, remember me this once. This once. Remember me again. Cast me not from thy sight. Now I take it that this is faith that lay more or less dormant. In this man's soul, since the time his enemies overcame him, that faith now bursts into flower, and it assails the gates of heaven. Remember me this once. Do you know what it is not to be able to pray? Do you know what it is to lie in the prison house? Having nothing to say. Looking over your mistakes with your mouth shut in the presence of God. Well, apparently Samson knew that. Things were... Uh, 
pent up within him. But when there is an outlet, it shows the force of what was there, despite the indications to the contrary. It shows the life of God, for it was by faith that Samson did the things that he did. By faith. That was the secret of his strength. The fact of the Nazarene, the keeping of the Nazarene vow, was but the condition on which his faith was to be in strong exercise. Yes. Remember me, Lord, this once. It is a short prayer. It is full of anguish, full of sorrow full of repentance. But it is a powerful prayer. It is a prayer that was answered. And no more proof is needed that it was the prayer of faith. It was answered. The Lord remembered him. Strengthen me this once that I may be avenged of the Philistines. Are my two eyes. In the New Testament, we read <clears throat> of some of the results of what Paul calls repentance not to be repented of. What does that work? It works many things. But this is one of the things it works. Vengeance. He went sorrowful after a godly soul. And in that you were, he said, what has worked in you, what cleansing of yourselves, and so on. Ye what vengeance. Vengeance against what? <laughs> against that which dishonors God. That's the vengeance that godly sorrow works. Against everything that is against God. And the desire comes to a fruition, at least to the desire gains strength, that in the act of repentance, if the believer could, he would destroy everything in himself that is against God. That's the meaning of repentance. It works vengeance. Or you say, but the vengeance of Samson was directed towards the Philistines. Yes, that is true. It was first, it was to himself, but it was to find expression against the Philistines. And here we have to distinguish between some of the um, uh, peculiar characteristics, the peculiar differences that obtain between the Old and the New Testament dispensations. We find David also prayed in exactly the same vein as Samson is praying. He wants vengeance on his enemies, not as private enemies but as enemies to God, enemies to the cause of God, enemies to the church of God, not as private ones. Well, we take it that we find the same spirit in this man, that I may be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. That prayer was heard. He was strengthened. Now there is this change for the better. The transformation from weakness to strength. It is a picture over which we would like to linger. 
The change from strength to weakness was so tragic that we would fain pass over it. But we would like to linger over this. For in the first place, we showed the constancy, the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. Everyone else failed, Samson. When he trusted them, his trust was misplaced. But his God, Jehovah, now proves himself to be different from all others. And only as he proves himself like that to us will he be our God. This trust in his God is not misplaced. He calls on him. And the Lord answers. Oh, what faithfulness. What constancy. It is in God. And because of that, and only because of that, is there any sinner saved. <laughs> he changed not. Now, <clears throat> in applying these words, <clears throat> and we better leave that application to slow. <clears throat> you can think. In applying them, we can at least say this. And point out this practical lesson from it all. Samson received his strength back. He was strengthened. But consider this. He never received his sight back. He never received his sight back. He went down blind to the grave. He received his strength, yes, but not his sight. The Philistines took that away from him forever, as far as this life was concerned. Now, isn't that most solemn? When we give due prominence and lay due stress on the faithfulness, the constancy of God, his unchangeableness, his immutability, that does not, in the slightest degree, take away the responsibility of man to do what God commands him. The responsibility of the church to give heed to that which he has laid down for our direction and guidance. And remember, my friends, there are some things that cannot be restored. If we lose them, they cannot be restored. There are some things that will be, but there are some things that cannot. Once gone, gone forever. If we lose our good name, By willfulness and carelessness, our good name among our fellow creatures, we can't get that back. That blot remains. Forgiveness doesn't take it away. Grace doesn't take it away. And if you wanted any proof of that, I ask you again to read the portion of the epistle to the Hebrews that we read this morning. But the thing is so obvious that no proof should be needed. There are things that cannot be restored. Furthermore, let us Note, let us notice the difference there is between 
the safety of the saints and the comfort of the saints. The usefulness of the saints. That safety is beyond any danger. Why? Because that life is hid with Christ in God. They are saved for time and for eternity. And their safety has nothing whatsoever to do with themselves. God has taken care of them. But their comfort, their usefulness, does not fall into that category. In large measure, this is dependent on the heat they give to God's word. The carefulness which they exercise in their daily walk and conversation. Hence we read, and we read again and again. Walk the Redeeming the time. Do not walk as other Gentiles walk. Walk in the fear of the Lord. No, if we don't, it is the height of presumption. Yes, it is tempting God to think that we can have what he has linked to obedience that we can have it without that. Oh, you say, but we can only walk by grace. Of that, my friend, I am fully aware. But that does not, in the slightest degree, minimize the duty of the believer to walk at all times according to the word of God, if he doesn't. He will know of it. He may not know that the Lord departed from him in one sense. Of course, there's a sense in which the Lord does not depart from his own. But he may, know, he may not know it for a while. But he will soon get to know of it. Why? By his defeats. His inability to stand against his enemies. That is always the price that has to be paid for disobedience and unfaithfulness. Now, my friend, while this is primarily to the uh, people of God who make a profession of knowing him and to know him in truth, there is a lesson here for us all. And in one word it is this. Without God, we have no safeguard against our enemies. Our enemies are numerous. They are powerful. They are ingenious. We are no match for them. And without God, we are eternally undone. Of course, the lesson is that we should give due attention to this and due care that whatever else we lack in life, we may have the Lord as our portion, our guide, our protector. And if that is so, then we will ultimately arrive in the comfort of the Spirit at the desired haven which he has prepared for all who love him. Let us pray.
pray. Oh Lord, bless us. We are so weak, so poor, so prone to err. But we would bless thee that thou art great, that thou art almighty, and that thou watchest over those who trust in thee. May we be of this blessed number, and may we be kept watchful, vigilant, remembering that the enemy goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. O Lord, preserve us. Bless thy word to us, and take away our sins for the Redeemer's sake. Amen.